Big Bank admits, yes, we are ripping off the public and rigged insurance, the scam of the century. Coming up on today's Citizens Report. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 31st of March 2023. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robbie Barwick. Welcome. Welcome, Elisa. And on, end of the first quarter. Yes, and on today's show, we will be discussing uh, an inadvertent, I think, admission coming out of the one of the well, the first hearing actually of the inquiry into banking, regional banking closures. A banker who put her foot in her mouth. Mm, uh, yeah, so that'll be uh, very revealing. And then we'll talk about um, another sector of Australian finance that is churning out financial victims, and that's insurance, the insurance sector. Get ready for ranting. We're, we're talking <laughs> yeah. about banks and insurance companies. Disclaimer ahead of time. Turn down your volume. <laughs> um, now, don't forget to hit the like button, uh, share as widely as you can, subscribe and ring the notification bells. We'll uh, alert you to additional content that we put out. Uh, and also, um, please donate if you can. There's a link below. Um, that's how we fund all of this and continue to put out uh, this content, both uh, in this format and in our regular weekly newsletter, which is also available for subscription. And of course, it's not just the content that they're contributing to, it's the actual campaigns. I mean, we're, we, our, our campaigns generate our content, right? We're, that's we're right. Not just, we're not here to commentate, we're here to activate um, and we're having some, some success. So before we begin, Elisa, on that, just to note, today being the 31st of March, um, it's the deadline for the submissions to the regional banking uh, inquiry, the closure of regional banks. So that's now over, right? And the inquiry proper will begin in earnest. Um, but we understand there's a lot of submissions, right? So the, the committee has been processing them as fast as they can. It's already nearly up to 200 submissions that they've published up there. Right. Um, if you made a submission, check on the website to see if yours is up there yet. Um, and we know that uh, a whole bunch of councils and, and mm. towns around Australia were mobilising themselves right up to the to the final moment to tell their people to make submissions. Right, so this is this is going to be uh, interesting. Uh, second thing is, um, of late we've been reminding people about the ASIC inquiry. Now that's been a different kettle of fish because they've been really slow on processing submissions. That the, that deadline was um, more than a month ago. Uh, well, they've finally started to get their act together. And uh, just a little uh, cross-channel plug here. Um, we, we ran an article on this in our alert this week. But um, our friend and collaborator, uh, Martin North, from the uh, Walk the World channel, Digital Finance Analytics, and his joint channel with, with the independent economist, John Adams, Interest of the People. You know, sadly, Martin's wife passed away a, a little while ago, and Martin doesn't have any family in Australia, so he decided that he'll move back to the UK. So he's made that move this week. So it's goodbye to Martin in a certain sense, though we're still going to be collaborating with him quite closely because he's going to maintain his channel over there. And you'll see on the screen, uh, I went up to Wollongong to catch up with him to say goodbye because it's been such a great collaboration for five years. Um, regular viewers of the show will be very familiar with Bail-In, mm. Elisa. And we first came into contact with Martin and with John Adams, etc. actually, 
the very week the alien law passed on Valentine's Day 2018, um, both of those, the collaboration started that week. So it's been a great collaboration and it will continue, but Martin's not going to be here in person. So um, John Adams has, and also in the photo I should mention, was um, we caught up with Angela Cramp and her husband Phil uh, from the Licensed Post Office Group because she's a great collaborator and they live in Wollongong as well. Uh, uh, so John Adams is, has started his own channel called The Public Crusader and he is doing really good regular updates on this ASIC inquiry. Now John has a burning issue that he put to ASIC to get investigated of a major alleged financial fraud in Australia, right? And he's really critical of ASIC's you know, delay. In, there's supposed to be an investigation going, but it's really being dragged out. Um, so he's pushing it from that standpoint. But the inquiry itself has become a big deal. So that is being up... John is updating us regularly through that channel. So I do encourage people, go to the Public Crusader channel, just search the Public Crusader. Well, we can put a link below probably. Um, and click on that and, and become a subscriber. You'll see John's updates. They're actually very good. Uh, and this is, gonna, this is fascinating. It's becoming a very, very interesting inquiry. And they are finally processing submissions. However, if you, like we have said, if you have made a submission and it's still not up there, still call them and say, where's my submission? Mm. Keep, keep prompting them that way. Okay. So on to our first topic. Big Bank admits, yes, we are ripping off the public. So um, this uh, admission came out, I think, two weeks ago now at the first of the hearings of the Rarat inquiry, the parliamentary inquiry into bank closures in regional areas. Uh, And, of course, a number of bank executives were quizzed by senators at that hearing. Uh, And one of the admissions came from the uh, NAB's um, executive retail executive Chrissy Jones, and we um, you can look for further details at our media release that we issued two days ago, headlined NAB Exec Lets the Cat Out of the Bag. So she was asked about the Bank at Post community representation fee, which is um, a service fee to cover the infrastructure that banks uh, use at the Australia Post branches because, of course, with banks closing so many of their branches, they're sending their customers to bank at the post office. There's two components to what banks are supposed to pay Australia Post. One is a, it's like with your, Christine Holgate compares it to your water bill. There's a service charge and there's a usage charge, right? And so the banks do pay Australia Post per transaction um, for processing the transactions, but Christine Holgate got him to pay a service charge and it's called the Community Representation Fee. And um, it was $22 million that she mm. got them to agree to pay. And they renewed it and the banks haven't been saying what they renewed it for. Well, no. now, now one of them's let the and cat out of the bag. Yeah, because we had actually made <clears throat> a... Well, you'd made a freedom of information request to Australia Post. because And based on NAB's renewal. So NAB, NAB renewed first mm. back in 2021 and... They didn't release the figure. No. And we're getting feedback from Australia Post. Why, why haven't they released the figure? So I did a FOI yeah. and they absolutely refused to say. They said it's commercial incompetence. And Pauline Hanson, Senator Pauline Hanson, had raised the same query in Senate estimates <clears> and the government had refused to specify it's all supposed to be commercial incompetence, 
which this NAB executive was actually going on and on about in this hearing, having now seen the full transcript. Just as an aside, can I just make a little editorial comment here? Um, This has become a, a scandal in itself, how much private companies doing deals with governments get mm. to hide those deals behind commercial and confidence. And it shouldn't be allowed. If, if a private company gets to deal with, deal with the government, invariably it's a really privileged deal for that private company, right? And they must be full transparency. Because if you, if you allow the, 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 the government's dealing with the private sector to be the excuse for no transparency, then you're dis- the, you are undermining the, import- the role of government, which must be fully transparent. Right, so this should not ever happen, and this is true for Australia Post. It's true for a month or so ago, the, or just before Christmas, I think the um, the senators tried. To, some of the senators tried to get a, a deal, a, 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 the, the government to say what their contract with Pfizer was over mm-hmm. the vaccines, and the, the the two major parties combined to vote it down. Right, um, or no, the Labor and the Greens combined to vote that down. That's wrong. That's wrong. Everything should be transparent. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's so. That's my editorial. <laughs> so the NAB executive blurted out that the charge that they paid for the community representation fee was $15 million. And then she went on to say, but we can't tell you the rest of the fees that we pay because it's all commercial in confidence. So just explain what went on there. Well, she, she wasn't... It is commercial in confidence. So um, but she, she, she said she, I think... We, we, Dale Webster, who was there um, and later wrote an article about that mm. NAB executives, the rest of her testimony, she points out that the two NAB executives there, Elisa, were actually by and large misleading the committee on everything they were saying. And it's almost as if this executive, Chrissy Jones, had all these lies lined up mm. for the committee on these things to do with regional banks. She forgot to keep the lie going on on how much this they'd paid for the community representation fee. Yeah. And so she actually just, she blurted it out. Now, we didn't notice this until the transcript came out, right? And we saw, hang on, she has agreed, she has, she has revealed that they're paying $15 million. And this is outrageous mm. because, of course, they're paying $15 million, which is a cut from $22 million per year, this is a bank that made $6.9 billion in profits last year, right? So they've, they've squeezed Australia Post for $7 million at a time when their, all their internal strategy for mass closing branches around Australia, you read the documents, it's all premised on we will be using Australia Post a lot more. Mm-hmm. These utter, utter bastards, right, are being allowed... And my real anger is not... It's like the um, uh, if you're at the zoo and there's a dangerous lion and a zookeeper lets the lion out, the lion's eating people and you're going to be not happy about the lion and you wish you had a nicer attitude, but you're going to hate the zookeeper for doing it. And it's the government, I mean, banks are banks. They are bastards. They've got to be kept on a leash. The government allowing them mm. to squeeze Australia Post, which is under intense pressure to maintain its profits because it's, it's required by law to operate commercially, and they're dumping customers on them by shutting branches. They're telling everyone, go to the post office, and they're cutting back what they prepared to pay the post office for that deal. Why is that allowed? Well, that's why they've been hiding it, because it's a disgusting, shameful act. And this silly executive didn't maintain the, the, the charade, and she's blurted it out. And so now we know the truth, and they have, we, we suspected they were cutting Australia Post short, and now we know they are. 
Yeah, so um, these banks, to maintain their profits, are squeezing the taxpayer, which funds Australia Post, squeezing the licensed post office owners who are private people who run a franchise and who are absorbing that cost. And as you said, um, NAB have been quite forthright about the fact that they're relying at Bank at Post more uh, as they close their own branches to save money. And they stated in their submission, this is NAB, to the Regional Banking Task Force, which ran over 2021 to 22. They said, our bank post partnership with Australia Post, which we have renewed in 2021 for a further 10 years, is just one way we support the regions by providing face-to-face banking services in 1,900 regional communities. The bank at post service can deliver over 90% of all transactions previously managed in a branch. Where we have closed a branch, we have always ensured Bank at Post was offered in the same town and support customers transitioning to the Bank at Post service. So we'll help you go to the post office so they can absorb the cost. Yep, go bank bank over there and... Every time they shut a branch or lease, they're probably saving at least minimum between $1 and $2 million. So let's just say $1.5 million. That's the annual cost of running a branch, right? So the amount of money they're paying Australia Post is the equivalent, is is, um, they get to make all that back just by by shutting 10 branches. Mm. And they have shut hundreds. Mm. And all those customers, 90% by their own figure, 90%, are now doing those transactions at post offices mm. and these bastard banks don't even want to pay for that. So the the like you said, the taxpayer, be clear on this, the taxpayers of Australia who own Australia Post and the LPOs, the license their small businesses, they are subsidizing, we are subsidizing the big four banks. That have made record <coughs> record profits. That made and, 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 and get free money from the RBA anyway. We're subsidi- yep. we're allowing them bail to bail out money. Um, and that article you referenced that Dale wrote where she went through the transcript of what that NAB executive uh, or NAB executives had to say in that hearing at sale um, points out, it reveals that what one of the lines that the NAB is running is <clears throat> that they're following the customers. They're not closing <laughs> the bank branches, then people have to go elsewhere. Oh, no, they're following the customers. So... All the people in regional towns are going to the next largest centre to do their shopping and therefore they do their banking there. And this, she, Dale really effectively exposed this lie as well by pointing to, and she has a whole chart there that lists them, the incidents of what we call, or she calls, ghost banks. So, And people would have experienced this. Um, and it started... Um, oftentimes during COVID, but not solely. And a lot of cases it continued and the banks shut down where they just reduce their hours. And so you go to the bank and they're not open because they're only open two or three days a week and then only certain hours of that day. And so people had begun to make the transition to just doing their banking when they went to the regional centre because of that ghost bank phenomenon. Um, And, you know, Therefore, the bank said, okay, we're justified to shut that branch. We're going to play a clip in a little while where um, a a figure, a personality on television questions that same chicken and egg phenomenon, right? What comes first, the chicken or the egg? And the the banks are saying, I don't know, it's the customers deciding to go online first or move away from the banks and we're following them. And, of course... It's just not true. Well, I want to move to that discussion now, actually, because um, there's been a big 
um, discussion in the media, attention in the media over the last few days to so-called cashless bank branches. And again, uh, Dale Webster has pointed out that a cashless bank branch is legally not a bank branch. That's right. If your bank, if, if your local bank tells you it has gone cashless, you reply to them, well, you are no longer a branch because the debt, it's in the law. Not This is in legislation. A, a branch, a bank branch takes deposits, cash deposits, and gives change, mm. right? Now, what the banks are trying to do is say, oh, well, no, no, we're just not taking it at the teller. You can get it from the ATM. Well, yeah, you can put your cash into the ATM. You can take your cash out of the ATM, but you can't get change because change means change. Notes and coins. In various denominations. Exactly, for exactly. float, for instance. Exactly. And so this is, just understand that. And the reason why, this is like, this, this may be considered anal. It's not. The reason it's not anal is this. It's in the law and it's the job of the regulator, APRA, to enforce that law. And what Dale caught them out doing um, over a year ago is allowing the banks to change to this without um, recording that as the loss of a bank branch. Mm. APRA was not requiring the law to be enforced, and that's what's that's a huge scandal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this came off the back of mm-hmm. ANZ putting out um, some notification stating that a number of their branches would not be dealing in cash. It was picked up by a number of sources. Neil Mitchell on 3AW had a discussion about that, the fact and asked ANZ about it. ANZ put out a statement saying over-the-counter cash is only one reason for people to visit a bank and that a small number of their branches will no longer handle cash at the counter, but they will continue to handle cash at smart ATMs and with coin deposit machines, Um, and that some branches, for example, Pakenham was an example given, will not handle cash at certain times. I mean, that's not going to make things difficult for businesses at all. Um, but they, this is all a foot in the water. Um, they're, put, mm. they're putting the toe in the water to gauge the reaction and get people used to the idea so then they go further. Because very soon, ANZ... Remember, ANZ is the bank that hates its customers the most. Mm-hmm. Why? How do we know that? Because they're the bank that point blank refused to do the Bank at Post deal yeah. with Christine Holgate. No. So, because we're not going to pay you $22 million, ANZ said, so our ANZ customers can keep banking in that town. Right? That's how, and, and state licensed post offices just told people from ANZ would come to the post office and said, Oh, can I bank here now? And they said, Sorry, no, you can't because your bank doesn't like you. Mm. Right? So they've got this totally utopian, dystopian agenda to go completely cashless. This is them putting their toe in the mm. water, right? And if you are an ANZ customer, don't take it. Call them up straight away, go yeah. to the branch that's still open and say, If you go cashless, I'm out of here. Right? Actually tell them that. And, you know, um, don't abuse the, the, the teller. They're under huge pressure. But ask them. Tell your management, I'm out of here if you do this. Mm. Right? And start leaving straight away. I mean, this is that you've got to send a message to these clowns. Yeah. Well, maybe we should all get our five-cent pieces and come and dump them on the bank <laughs> front doorstep. Um, <laughs> There's a campaign. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot flying around. Um, but, yeah, apparently, according, I think it was on 3RW, apparently ANZ refused to even name which 
branches would be cashless. But again, Dale Webster's doing the service for them, and she actually put up, um, there's a tweet and an can article. I, can I read it? We'll put it on the screen. Yeah. But she goes, community service, uh, she put this up yesterday, community service, if the banks won't tell the media where the rest of their cashless branches are, and she put branches in quote marks because they're not branches, we will. Yellow NABs downgraded to other face-to-face services after a mention in Parliament. That's right. It only happened because she mentioned it, got it mentioned in Parliament. APRA has let it rest illegally, report themselves as providing, has let, has let the rest, sorry, illegally report themselves as providing branch services. And she has a list mm. here of the, of the, um, the various banks uh, that are now uh, supposedly cashless. And so you're talking about a whole bunch in... ANZ banks in um, like City Walk, Canberra, Burke Street, Melbourne, Exhibition Street, Melbourne, St Kilda Road, Melbourne, Centre Road, Bentley. Anyway, we'll put... so perhaps they are adding to that list with this new announcement. Yeah, I don't know. Let's 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 let this list linger <laughs> on the screen, uh, Ben, so that people can see it for a while, um, and you'll see the you, you get a sense of it. And and if you are on Twitter, follow Dale Webster at the Regional. Her stuff is gold. Yeah. Now we want to. Uh, share some, some clips with you because these, you know, they <laughs> pop up in the media and they're here and then they're gone and you don't often get to see them again. So Channel 7, The Project and Sky News all did um, segments about these cashless bank branches. Well, can I say before we go to them, just there, when, when banks first started doing this, it was like a curiosity in the media, right? Oh, yeah, we're, you know, it's like cashlessness, that's where technology mm. is taking us, that's inevitable, etc. Now it comes up. There's more a reaction in the media. And we've been a factor in this, right? We've been trying to get people to understand, hang on, consider where this is going, you know. In, you can look at other places in the world like in Europe where they had the governments in, in Scandinavia countries and, and England even have had to legislate to come back from the cashless agenda and, and, and um, demand minimal mm. availability of cash, Right. Yet our banks and our government is just allowing them to go headlong into this. Even China, Elisa, has fined businesses that don't, that don't want to take cash. China has the most impressive cashless technology in the world, right? Because their the, 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 the programming is pretty simple and it just allows people, you can just flash your, flash your phone around, you can do everything on their, on their super apps. You know, Elon Musk has expressed um, jealousy about how apps like WeChat work. But China's not getting rid of cash, mm. and it's finding businesses that just want to cheat, right, and and um and and not do cash. So we we've, we've been blasé about this for a while, but now you'll see in these clips a change of tone because I think our warnings are not falling on deaf ears anymore. People are starting to get it. Yeah, exactly. We've been harping on for long enough. They're <laughs> finally seeing it. Um, so first we'll run this Channel Seven clip, which was uh, on the news last <clears throat> night, I believe. Two nights ago. We've taken another step towards a cashless society. A big bank has confirmed customers in some locations can no longer withdraw money over the counter as branches continue to wind back services. It's up there with the pub with no beer, the bank with no cash. ANZ has confirmed some branches no longer handle cash at the counter. Others are directing customers to smart ATMs for cash transactions. 
ANZ says only 8% of its customers rely solely on branches. NAB says for its customers, it's only 3%. The number of bank branches nationally dropped 30% in major cities over five years, from more than 3,000 to around 2,300. It's um, closed down at, oh, about 12 months ago, so I've got to come down to South Melbourne. And uh, if that closes down, I don't know where I've got to go. So for checks and everything else. It's a worldwide trend and there are concerns it hurts disadvantaged customers the most. Senior citizens, new migrants, people who are disabled, they do need, if you like, face-to-face help. There's a danger here of excluding some elements of our society when we talk about inclusion all the time. The latest figures on ATM shows the number of machines has more than halved from almost 14,000 back in 2017 to around 6,000 in the middle of last year. I would point out to people that cash is still very important, both as a means of payment because if you're paying by cash, you don't get surcharged. Emma O'Sullivan, 7 News. And that, that professor uh, from Swinburne, he was also on um, uh, Ross and John on 3AW the next morning, uh, also talking about some practical... Basically, he, he said there is a way to keep cash, use it or lose it. Mm. And, he put, and he's, the thing he emphasised on Ross and John is what he said there. You, you get to avoid charges... Um, bank charges by using cash. And that's actually the biggest component of the concern for small business. So many times I've been to a small business and say, what would you like me to Mm. pay you in? And a genuine small business, not one that's like a chain, right, a genuine bakery or something like that, Mm. never any equivocation, cash, cash. cash. Mm. Why? They're not cheating the tax man, they're cheating the bank's charges, Mm. right? And now this other clip is from the project last night. I love this. And cash isn't king anymore at ANZ. The bank has confirmed a number of its Victorian branches are now cashless. ANZ says there's been a 50% decline in in in-branch transactions in the past four years. Apparently, it's also so that staff can focus on complex and big financial decisions rather than everyday banking. What? I don't understand. You can drop your cash at the branch, but you can't take your cash. If you drop cash, then they've got cash to give you. What what I mean? So apparently they put that cash in the ATM and that's how you're meant to get the cash. Um, Yeah, but what what, what do you do with coins and stuff like that? Is in to deposit them, or if you yeah. put them, well, I guess you, you can deposit, deposit them, but you how? can't withdraw. You put them, I mean, you, this, how? I'm like going to shove them into the ATM. No, you can, and it weighs. It's a deposit all. box, yeah. But what I don't understand is, you know, sometimes you need money in certain yeah. denominations. Yes. How? Yeah, you like a shopkeeper. Yeah. What are you mm. meant to do? For a float. Yeah. What do you do? But also, what what if banks don't give you cash? What do they give you? They make complex financial decisions. Yeah, yeah. that's like Joe Teller. Oh, I cannot be working here to take your transaction. <laughs> I'm making complex decisions. <laughs> but is really, it, is waiting it, for the next government bailout. <laughs> is it like, get him, Kate. Take they, down those banks. No, the fact like, worked a lot better in America. If, though, they <laughs> if they don't have cash... What do they have? No, they have what it. do we have? It. They have it. They're just putting it in the machine and saying, don't bother yeah. us. So what do, what, because money, cash only exists and money only exists because we believe in it. Oh, you're getting Because it replaced right. shells and beads or whatever. <laughs> okay. So if they don't give us that, what, what is happening? Apparently 13% of all transactions, only 13% of all transactions are cash in Australia yeah. right now. Yeah, because they're trying low. to get, they're trying to get rid of cash. Yeah. 
It's not, I think it's chicken and egg. Right. Which, by the way, will be excellent for bartering. And the <laughs> comes down. Now, <laughs> good on uh, Kate Langbrook. This is, this is the chicken and egg thing I was referring yeah. to. And, and um, uh, so obviously Kate is getting concerned about this, Elisa. But can I point out, what I, the other thing about that clip is she was dead right to say, oh, we're waiting here for a government bailout. Silly yeah. Waleed said, oh, that's, that applies to America. No, Waleed. Mm. Pay t- maybe Waleed, get down out of your ivory tower and watch the Citizens Report and go back through our channel because it's been going for more than 10 years. Our banks in, in October 2008 got on their knees to Kevin Rudd and said, you must guarantee us or we will become insolvent sooner rather than later. That is a quote from our banks to Kevin Rudd. They begged him for those guarantees and he guaranteed their deposits. He guaranteed their foreign borrowings and he gave them the first homeowner's grant triple. He tripled the first homeowner's grant to basically guarantee their debts that they had, the, the, the exposure they had to the housing market, right? Our, our banks were just as shot as the others. The bailout came in a different form for them. And they're just as shot now. Kate is very, very right. And that's a big part of this, why, why this is happening. Because, of course, if they get rid of cash, you know what happens if you get rid of cash? There's no such thing as a run on the banks anymore. Mm. None. And that run on the banks was never a good... It's never good to have a run on the banks per se. But the fear of undermining confidence in themselves by, their, by being silly and doing bad banking practices would cause a run on the banks is what helped keep the banks in line, right? The banks will be able to trap us in them because there's no exit ramps, which is what cash is. Now, Sky News. Oh, yeah, and, and this is great because Peter Credlin on Sky News also covered this issue. Everyone was covering this issue, and there was quite a lot of backlash. But I just want to play this little clip. She was talking to 3AW, uh, 2GB's weekend guy, Michael McLaren, and um, he, he brought the subject back to what ANZ did, and then he made this comment. The scope of this is the key. One thing that I don't think they're going to discuss, because not really in the purview of the Reserve, but going back to where we were just a second ago on the banks. Well, if the banks aren't going to hand out cash, we do have a network of branches around the country called the post offices. They seem to be crying out for a new business model to prop up the failing letters business. Do what they do overseas. Let them be a financial house. Hello, and that's what we've all been saying, that there is a way to deal with this. If the banks do not want to serve customers, in fact, Elisa, I wrote the executive summary for our party's submission to the Regional Bank Inquiry, and my opening line was, the big four banks in Australia do not want to serve customers. If they don't want to serve customers, the biggest retail footprint of any um, business in Australia is post offices, Australia Post. Mm -hmm. They can all become the agents for a government bank. Absolutely. And because it's interesting, the Reserve Bank put out another report on cash just in the last week or two. And while it's said that use of cash for day-to-day transactions is in decline, as they've been saying for years, it does go on to note that the ongoing adequacy of cash access is vulnerable to further withdrawal of access points and that this issue warrants regular monitoring. And they put, I'll put up this graphic there, they use this graphic called the cash use cycle where they admit that, for instance, when 
um, there's less cash use. It becomes uneconomic for banks and ATMs to stay there and to provide cash. And when there's less cash access points, then there's less cash use. And so it becomes a self-fulfilling spiral. It's a downward spiral that, gets, that makes it get smaller and smaller and smaller but every time. But a public bank would intervene to stop that cycle to provide the access point which you have at the post office, which isn't going anywhere anyway. Because the only thing I'd, I'd take issue with the Reserve Bank there is this term uneconomical. Oh, yeah. Right? It is not uneconomical. It is, it is less profitable, mm. but there's... These they're raking banks. it in still. They are. They've never... Including the most, in regional areas. Of course. They're the most profitable banks in the world, right? But they're looking at the declining cash use and how much they still have to pay for the, the cash trucks, you know, the, the armor guard and whatever. Um, and so it's, it's a larger proportion of the cost. But it's not uneconomical. That's all rubbish. But you're right. Because a public bank is not there to maximise its profits, service first, mm. right, it'll provide all that yeah. infrastructure. Now, one other thing to mention is that there's a new change.org petition out, which you might want to say something about, to save cash. But it states that um, it calls for an Australian cash and banking guarantee. It says, we call for an Australian banking and cash guarantee that includes these rights. One, all Australians must be able to have reasonable local access to cash and full banking services. Two, all Australians must be able to choose cash when paying for food and essentials at physical retailers. Very, very important. So, the, And both are equally important. So the, the guarantee is to the access and to the use, right? So there's no point guaranteeing use if you can't access, access it, and there's no point guaranteeing access if you can't use it. Mm. So this is something that it's up to the government to take a long, hard look at this. While cash is legal tender... Yes, it's not. There's nothing in the Constitution that says businesses have to take it. Mm. And what, what the banks do, because it started off with chain businesses, the banks come up with this kind of um, deal, right? I think they must do a special deal. Of, the first one was Nando's, right? There must have been some special deal between Nando's and the banks to say, you go, you go cashless and we'll make it worth your while. Mm. Um, and, but then that starts the rot, right? If a cash is legal tender... Why should a business have the right? What, first of all, what sort of business wouldn't want to be paid? Mm. Right? That's the bottom line. What sort of business wouldn't want to be paid? So whatever, the, whatever agenda the banks have got, the government has to rip the rug out from under it straight away. And that means put on a guarantee like this in legislation. Yes, and talking about what the government has to do to regulate the banking sector and to police it, we want to move on to the next topic, rigged insurance, the scam of the century. And this points to the fact that um, it's not just one area in which bank victims are being churned out. There's, it's every sector. So this, um, in this instance, we focus in on the insurance sector in which people, you know, faithfully pay their insurance in case, you know, for loss of income or for some kind of accident that occurs to ensure the livelihood of themselves and their family. And then when the worst happens, nothing comes to bear to fulfil that guarantee that you've made you know, by because paying out your hard-earned money over all those years. No, and because we, because we make an issue out of the, the, the structural problems in the financial system, we get stories like this uh, given to us mm. um, and they're now being given to ASIC in this inquiry um, and they're really heartbreaking, Elisa. And the problem is there's way, way, way too many. We can't highlight them all. But we wanted to highlight this one because it's just, it, it's, it's an example of how there's a, there's a structural problem with a certain loophole that mm. everyone knows exists, right? And nobody 
has the political will to address it because when it comes to banking and insurance, they are virtually untouchable. Mm. And what you see from this story in particular is the whole machinery of regulation and oversight, which is quite elaborate and intricate. There's so many levels of it. Just figuring out who monitors what takes a huge amount of research and you can read the detail of it in the last two issues of the Australian Alert Services pulled together by our researcher Melissa Harrison. Um, But all of this entire machinery is a complete waste of time. It does not function. It does nothing. And this case that we've looked at is that of uh, Rob and his wife, Fiona. Rob was in an accident in 2017 that made him an incomplete quadriplegic. Uh, He was immediately, it wasn't known whether he was whether this was going to be a permanent disability or he but would he, recover. But he was totally and permanently incapacitated. Yeah, so that eventually was not, became known. But in the, at the start of this, right after the accident, he was obviously unable to work. But the insurance company initially denied his claim for income protection insurance. Um, this was after they went through arduous and distressing insurance processes of filling out forms of people coming around. People came from Sydney to WA where they were. They were interrogated. Um, There was no result forthcoming. Payments were delayed. There were more forms. Eventually, some payments came through uh, just for that insurance of income protection. And and as Fiona tells the story, they've also got two children who have disabilities. Mm. And this is Fiona is having to... Care. care for the children, care the for husband. her husband, which is a like totally exhausting job. And in her quote-unquote spare time, mm. go through enormous quantities of paperwork, wade through them that... I'll say it now. There's a movie, Matt Damon movie, called The Rainmaker. And when I read this story, it just reminded me of... Mm. There's a scene in that movie... Where when the when the court the court case against the insurance company is on, they they show this letter that the insurance company wrote to the claimant, the mother of the boy who dies, and the, and someone at the insurance company says, "We have turned you down this many times. You must be stupid, stupid, stupid." The way Americans say it, to keep asking, hmm. right? That is, and it just sort of captures the contempt. That's a fictional story, yeah. but it rings true because the people who have to plough through this stuff, that is how they feel they are being treated. So when the income protection, you know, they started to get it, get the payments, but it was irregular, it would be interrupted by, oh, well, we need this extra form or we need you to prove such and such. So eventually, you know, with no income, the banks were knocking on the door. Then after two years, the worst was confirmed um, that Rob's diagnosis was permanent. Um, And he then had to claim not just the insurance protection, but total and permanent disability insurance ongoing. Which he he had been paid, which he had paid for. And by this time, three years had passed and the income protection that they had been getting in dribs and drabs was running out, but they had no recourse. Um, And basically, this is what they tried. They... um, they went to the department, WA Department of Mines Regulation and Safety, which is for consumer protection in WA. That agency could not identify any breach. APRA, they went to. APRA has oversight over insurance companies, but told them it does not investigate eventual individual complaints unless they are of prudential concern. Prudential means unless their complaint 
meant the insurance company was insolvent and could bring down the system, then it's not, APRA's not interested. Mm-hmm. But of course, the insurance company's not insolvent because it's screwing them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's profiting from that. Um, they went to the Australian Human Rights Commission, which informed them that it was not the most appropriate body. They went to the Insurance Fraud Bureau, but they only investigate alleged fraud committed by customers. So, you know, people that are trying to rip off the insurance company, so they don't investigate the insurance firms. <laughs> they went to members of parliament, including Stephen Jones, who suggested they seek legal aid. We haven't heard that story before from <laughs> Stephen Jones. Um, they tried to hold uh, accountable the insurance company to the Life Insurance Code of Practice, or the Life Code as it's known. That was absolutely worthless, worthless because it's not a legally enforceable code as it turns out, and insurance companies routinely violate it with no consequences. When it was set up, originally it was proposed in 1995-96, um, it would have been fine the way that it was planned. But in 1996, the Wallace Inquiry intervened. And this was when, you know, everything was to be done by the free market, the rule of the free market. Yep. And so the Wallace Inquiry recommended self-regulation for financial industry across the board through voluntary codes of conduct. Yeah. So this is this is um, 25 years or something later, Elisa. But think about... So we now concede this has been a disaster. But give me a break. The people sitting around that room in 1996 and thinking, coming up with those words, let's have self-regulation through voluntary codes of conduct. Ho, 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 we've got it made. See you at the pub, boys. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and the politicians let that fly? Yeah. I mean, this is this, you know, the contempt you have to have for these people knows no bounds. This has to be completely dismantled. And in the articles, Melissa goes through a whole infrastructure of um, le- different levels of um, groups that are supposed to monitor the insurance industry. So you have the industry lobbyist, for instance, the Financial Services Council. You have the Life Code Compliance Committee. And then that committee has a code compliance and monitoring team. I think Monty Python set up our system of regulation in Australia oh, sometimes. All, all of those levels and tiers, as this couple found out, were all perfectly useless. If they do do anything, it's just a slap on the wrist or a warning Um, This LCCC code only ever sanctioned one company, which amounted to putting a public notice of a breach on its website. Um, ASIC is supposed to have oversight. It's meant to regulate the insurance industry, but it admits it literally takes no oversight of anything. And by the way, when that LCCC, when when Rob applied to that LCCC, the, the LCCC turned him down saying, we can't look at your case. But if they hadn't turned him down, it would have been probably just as useless because mm. the executive of his insurance... We can't name his insurance company. Mm. The executive of his yeah. insurance company sits on the board right. of that LCCC. Uh, it's <laughs> as all, if they've got a rule against themselves. You'll get very mad when you read these articles. Um, but eventually, so Rob was directed to AFCA. <laughs> the Australian Financial Complaints Authority. And you can go back and look at our stories on here, Sterling Rob, first. Here, Rob, you've been stewing in the frying pan. Come and jump in the fire. Yeah, exactly. This is the most useless agency. It's an external dispute resolution mechanism, but it's a private company. It operates outside the bounds of the court system, so it's not bound by rules of evidence or anything. 
Um, and it's basically, it, it comprises um, poachers turned gamekeepers. Um, with insurance complaints for disability, it has ruled in favour of the insurance company 82% of the times when it has intervened, which is very rarely in any case. So basically, um, Rob and Fiona were forced to go to into the legal system. They've been forced to pay for lawyers, which means if they eventually do get a payout, it'll all disappear. But Could, they... Because, Elisa, the structural loophole I referred to earlier is the fact that here's AFCA, which is the... Fu- the, 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 um, you know, the agency of last resort to go to, right? Mm. AFCA can only look at cases under something like $1.1 million. And their claim is mm. over $1.1 Because this is yeah. guy's paralysed for the rest of his life, right? It's over. He's paid the insurance. The insurance company owes him more than $1.1 million. And because the insurance company knows that he cannot, does have any recourse through APRA, they've just said to him, We'll take us to court. Mm. Knowing that he's got no money, it's going to be a huge chore for them to, mm-hmm. to mount a court case against them. And they know, and they would. this is a machinery they have, they would, they would have a, a, a policy to anyone over those claims, just almost blanket deny them, because let the ones who take us to court succeed, the rest will be able to keep mm. their money. And that's why Fiona issued an open letter headlined Australia and insurers playground the scam of the century because she said for anyone that has insurance worth over 1.1 million, this will be your problem if you try to claim it. This is across the board. So they have determined, even though they can't afford to take on this fight, to fight to change the system so it doesn't happen to other people again. Yep. Um, uh, I just want to, one, one last comment on that. One of, the, one of the people that we collaborate with in these campaigns that we're on is the um, uh, Emeritus University of Sydney uh, economics lecturer, um, Evan Jones, who just happens to have been the economics lecturer for Anthony Albanese um, back in the 80s. Albo was his um, student. He's very disappointed in Albo, I must say. Evan is a warrior like our friend Denise Braley. I mean, these if I was restructuring ASIC, I'd, I'd get the, 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 the most aggressive bank-hating junkyard dog to be the, the commissioner of ASIC and I'd give him two, two um, honorary advisors mm. and give him lots and lots of money to be honorary advisors, Evan Jones and Denise Braley, right, people who have spent decades advocating on behalf of the actual victims in the system. Um, uh, I, I caught up with Evan last week when I was in Sydney and one of the things that, because I asked him this question, because um, I think it's quite relevant, have... This, this, this issue we've got for the last few decades in Australia where there's so many financial victims wherever you look, there's, fun, there's bodies piled up everywhere. I said to Evan, because he's an older guy, I said, is this a, was this always a feature of the financial system um, or is this a product of deregulation? And he was emphatic. No, it wasn't always a feature of the financial system. You've always had financial victims, but they, they, you tended to have lots of financial victims when you would have a big economic event like a depression, the depression in the 1930s, the depression in the 1890s, something like that, mm. right? Um, you would get financial victims. But what we've got, deregulation, financial deregulation, which, this, which, which started with the Campbell Inquiry in 82 and it continued with the Wallace Inquiry in 97, that let the predators off the leash, mm in every sector. And there are so many victims out there because of that, right? And that's why it's a process, but people have been with the Citizens Party for a while, you'll see that we've consistently been fighting on these fronts because we cannot just accept it as, oh, this is life. No, no, no. 
we don't accept the law of the jungle anywhere else, we shouldn't accept the law of the jungle in the financial system where the consequences can be so much greater than most other areas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this has got to be cleaned up. And so the inquiry into ASIC is really important. Um, what we're trying to do with creating positive alternatives that can force the private sector to compete with a public option in banking and insurance. Our postal bank should also be a government insurance office, mm. right? But all these people who are being treated like that by insurance companies can say, and before you go buy insurance with them, go buy it through the government insurance office, which isn't there to make a profit, right? And it just builds a pool up and make sure you get your payment when you need to get your payment. And that can be, you can access that through the post office as well. Senator Jared Rennick has actually advocated that in the Senate. We could do that. We used to have all these government insurance offices. They privatised them like they privatised all the public banks, right? And the predators have been off the leash. So we're fighting for this to, to restructure the financial system, the whole lot, so that it once again serves the people instead of feeds off the people, right? And yeah. so that's why stick with this fight, take these cases to heart, mm. look at the progress we're making, right? And... Uh, understand why we have to keep doing it until we actually succeed. Yep, so talk to everyone you can in your community about the need for a public bank. Get them to join our campaign too. You can contact us for more information. Everything we've talked about this week is explained and documented in the Australian Alert Service. That's all for this week. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Alyssa. Thanks for tuning in and see you again next week. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.